Welcome to the Gen Xer Podcast, a weekly podcast that discusses what's going on in the world through the eyes of the long-forgotten group, Generation X. So we want to take a moment to let you guys know that all current episodes of the Lazy Geeks Network are available on our YouTube channel. Don't get too excited. This isn't video of myself or us. It's simply our podcast ported to our channel. The reasoning behind it is that some people can't stream content from their mobile devices in some locations. and However... They do have access to YouTube or and would like to stream it through that medium, or they just simply don't know how podcasts work. So here's another option for you. But once we get, you know, start getting some traction and getting this going regular without any major life changing issues, uh, we may start loading video versions of our show. But until then, you are just going to have to deal with this, at least for now. So now, with all that being said, on with the show. When the vaccine was released onto the public at large, many people that wanted to take it did. First off, I wanted to be known that I didn't get my shot until April. My brother at the time was in the high-risk category, but without a car, it made it hard to get him to a location. Many of the locations around me were either far, which would be difficult in his condition, or only drive up, which would have been difficult if, as we didn't have a vehicle. And because of my age, I had to wait until it was available for my age group. So once it was available, I got the vaccine, not for me. And since my brother's condition started to worsen, I knew I had to get it for him. And Adam did the same thing because, well, you know, family. So after the responsible people got the shot, many state and local governments were trying to increase vaccinations. So they started offering cash prizes and raffles, and some states started offering free shit to, uh, or stores actually were offering free shit if they showed proof of vaccination. Because the responsible, responsible people did the right thing. Now let's go after the people that needed a selfish reason to get it, which pissed a lot of us responsible people off because we did the right thing and the holdouts get the prizes. But after that didn't work, you needed to use the stick. Don't get the shot, lose your job, can't travel, can't go to concerts. Prior to the pandemic, many conservatives called athletes and celebrities self-entitled know-nothings. No one should listen to them. Now, with some of them refusing vaccinations, suddenly they're their poster children. The ones that get me aren't those idiots. They're the ones that use their platform to advocate for social or political justice. But asking people to get vaccinated is a bridge too far. People like LeBron James. While I think he's an overrated player is one thing, and in this instance, he's a fucking coward. People that on camera say revealing whether they got vaccinated is a personal choice, uh, they won't reveal whether they got it or not, are also cowards. And are saying that for one reason, you know, they're only saying that for one of two reasons. One, they didn't get the vaccine and they don't want to be shamed for it. 
Or two, they did get the vaccine and don't want to be shamed for it. So why am I taking LeBron to task on this? Well, here is a guy that called out law enforcement for treating people of color for their abuse, outing people by mistake, but that wasn't a personal matter. But whether to tell others to take a vaccine is too personal? That's a bridge too far? That's the hill you don't want to die on? Well, that's why he's a coward. He said that he did his research. Bullshit. He discussed with his accountant the fallout revenue-wise if he didn't take the vaccine. That was his research. And since he cannot use his platform to encourage people to take the shot, we shouldn't listen to him for anything else. Now, just remember, when a celebrity refuses to tell whether they got the vaccine or for others to get it, they cannot say anything about a social issue ever again. The only one that could have a chance in changing anything, and they copped out. If they are really for something, then they failed miserably. The death of conservative talk show host Rush Limbaugh this year spawned a predictable flurry of news coverage about him that touched on all the big chapters of his three-decade career. He was a fire-breather, right-wing provocateur. We were reminded a bigot, a smash-mouth, a GOP standard-bearer, a avatar of tr traditional conservatism who morphed into a champion of Donald Trump's burn-it-all-down brand of politics— a peddler of disinformation and half-truths, a horrible human being, and a loving husband. He was all that and more, the news coverage told us. What much of the reportage failed to spend much time on, however, is the mistrust of traditional mainstream media that helped grease the skids of Limbaugh's career in the first place. Which is why it must be noted, even as a man who led the talk radio revolution is now gone, his death happens to coincide with the moment when fewer people than ever trust traditional media, according to the results of a survey. For the first time, Eldman's annual trust barometer, which is shared with Axios, revealed that fewer than half of all Americans acknowledge any kind of trust in the mainstream media. 56% of Americans, for example, said they agree with the following statement. Journalists and reporters are purposely trying to mislead people by saying things they know are false or gross exaggerations. The result goes on to show that 59% of Americans said they agree with the statement that most news organizations are concerned with supporting an ideology or political position than with informing the public. And 61% of Americans think that the media is not doing well at being objective and nonpartisan. El Rushbo built his entire career of an understanding of that reality. It's hard not to read those new statistics and flashback to some of the highlights of his career, like the time in 2013 where he blasted journalists as dangerous to the republic, and in response to one particular article that set him off during a radio broadcast, he railed against journalists, quote, we might want to start considering at, the, at least talking about registering journalists, just like we have to register guns, background checks, and all of that, because this is a mental illness. This is bordering on delusion. This piece, it really is incredible. We ought to register these journalists, end quote. The deeper you look into this issue, though, 
you start to see the same pattern on both sides of the political divide. Too many news consumers start out with a worldview and either require or dismiss facts depending on whether or not they snap together like missing puzzle pieces in a jigsaw of the mind. Liberals rallied at railed at the New York Times Washington's correspondent Maggie Haberman for pretty much the entirety of the Trump presidency if she had a piece of dutiful reporting of dutifully reported some action he'd taken and didn't find a way to suggest that he was the devil incarnate. Similarly, there is a tendency among many right-leaning conservatives of news to regard an updated story containing new facts or a fuller picture emerging in the wake of the initial piece of breaking news to be evidence of some kind of conspiratorial backtracking. For example, the New York Times earlier this year quietly updated the story it published that included details about the death of Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick, who was originally reported uh, who was originally reported was killed during the January 6th erection after being struck by a fire extinguisher. His death quickly became one of many symbols that news outlets and prominent Democrats fixated on by way of correctly speaking out about how awful the insurrectionist actions were. Only the original narrative surrounding his death was may not actually told the correct story of how Sicknick died. Quote, New information has emerged regarding the death of Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick that questions the initial cause of death provided by officials close to the Capitol Police, read an update posted on the top of the New York Times' original story. In a separate story from earlier that month, the Times reported, quote, one Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick was killed and investigators are increasingly focused on whether chemical irritants were a factor in his death, according to a senior law enforcement official. Now, this is the kind of stuff that sets conservatives into a tizzy when originally when original narratives get changed because of a very prosaic, commonplace reason that new information emerges, which leaves them believing that reporters are somehow in cahoots with Democrats grasping for whatever narrative will do harm to the other side. Where does all of this philosophical tribalism end when it begins to impact sources of news that are supposed to be honest brokers of information? Washington Post media columnist Margaret Sullivan has written that, quote, our goal should go beyond merely putting truthful information in front of the public. We should also do our best to make sure it's widely accepted, end quote. New York Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, meanwhile, has talked about the need to, in the wake of the January 6th riots that were facilitated by some media outlets peddling misinformation, figure out how to rein in our media environment so you can't just spew disinformation and misinformation. AOC made those comments during an Instagram Live, adding the media literacy and the lack thereof is part of what happened here. Edelman's barometer, meanwhile, also revealed that the following revealed the following. 61% of Trump voters acknowledged trusting the CEO of their employer. Less than half of that number said they trust government officials, which is about 28%. Coming in even lower, with the trust of just 21% of these uh, respondents, journalists. Now let's get a couple of things straight. First of all, conservatives have always called mainstream media fake news, whether it be by name or other, other ways. Since the days of Barry Goldwater, this has been true. And that's the 1960s, in case you didn't know. Secondly, the mainstream media brought this whole thing on themselves. 
From print journalism to television conglomerates, media consumption has been spurred on by one thing, money. In the early days of print journalism, sensationalized stories were print to increase revenue. Misleading headlines make sure that people would spend that nickel to grab the morning edition. This was the early days of clickbeat media. When radio journalists began to um, came into being, print had to compete. Both would sensationalize storylines to increase papers sold and ad, or ad revenue. Either way, it was to make more money. Then, when television came into being, everyone was competing against everyone. Whether it was local news competition against national news, TV against radio, who was against print, and it was who could get more revenue. Conservatives have always had this deep, clung belief that the media was against their cause whether it was the New York Times or the Washington Post. They came to a head when Nixon was against any media agency that wasn't on his side. And that was 40-plus years ago. 40-plus years ago before Trump. In the mid-'80s, then-President Ronald Reagan succeeded in removing the Fairness Doctrine. It was a post-World War II piece of legislation that controlled the media from being used as a propaganda device like it was used in Nazi Germany and the newly anointed enemy of the United States, the Soviet Union. It was disbanded due to conservatives claiming that it hampered their conservative messaging. It required a secondary point of view to any national topic. Also, if someone was being criticized, they were required to give time to the one being criticized to respond to said allegations. That was when you saw the rise of Limbaugh, Sean Hannity, and the like on conservative talk radio. But it wasn't until the late 90s when news organizations like ABC, CBS, and NBC had to compete with the likes of A Current Affair and other shows called tabloid television. It it surfaces greatly during the Clinton-Lewinsky scandal. Suddenly you had CNN, ABC, and MSNBC competing against shows like Hard Copy and Inside Edition. The problem was it got huge ratings. And since then, sensationalized stories would fill blocks of 24-hour news channels. Then Fox News would fill their blocks with conservative radio topics with TV personalities. The news got all, a lot of stuff wrong, and they still continue to do so. And no one has held them, liberal or conservative, in check. The Olympic Park bombing in 1996 is a prime example. Richard Jewell was credited with discovering the bomb and saving people's lives. Problem was the investigation was moving too slow for the 24-hour news cycle. Based off of no evidence, they started looking at Jewel as a police flunky, speculating that he may have planted the bomb himself to make him look good, with no evidence whatsoever. The media collectively destroyed the man's livelihood and life just to sell papers and increase revenue. And it was later learned that serial bomber Eric Rudolph was behind the bombing. No one in the media was held responsible for tormenting an innocent man. No apologies were given. No penalties were paid. They simply shrugged their shoulders and moved on. And shortly after 9-11, letters began to arrive at media outlets in two Democratic senators' offices. Laced with anthrax, the media pounced on it like a cat with a laser light. Less than a week after the events of 9-11, the media speculated that this was the second phase of the attacks. The FBI focused on two people. One, Stephen Hatfield, who was a bioweapons expert, which the media dragged through the mud with no regard to whether the information was true or not. Later, they switched to Bruce Edwards 
um, Invens, Invens, I think is, is how you pronounce it. Sure, who cares? Uh, who was the scientist at a biodefense lab. Under all scrutiny by the FBI and the 24-7 media coverage, he committed suicide. And since he was dead, the FBI labeled him as the sole suspect behind the letters, even though there were many inconsistencies between the anthrax used in the letters and the ones he used at the lab. Now, for decades, the media, conservative and liberal, have been playing fast and loose with facts. They use information from someone's TikTok, and it'll be on the news. And local news isn't any better. They provide news without context. If you don't follow the story on a daily basis, you will not know pertinent information, as if things happen in a vacuum. Maybe it would be vital information that would give the viewer a balanced story. Nor do they even question the people they are interviewing. Recently, you heard about the lack of people applying for work, which is bullshit. I work retail, and there have been applications coming in consistently, people inquiring about jobs. However, management is the one dragging their feet, but that's a whole nother podcast for another time. Now, if you pay any sort of attention, you'll notice that it's restaurant owners that are complaining. You never see them interviewing office workers or retail establishments. Why? Because they would call out the rest that would call out restaurant owners pay shit. So they blame it on people getting extra unemployment insurance. I've I've seen people using their unemployment cards at my store. They are not struggling at all with all their Gucci merch. There is a worker shortage for shitty paying jobs. And you see a lot of instances of customers getting treated poorly or um, customers treating them poorly. So what would you rather do? Work at a McDonald's or work in the mall? Now, we see a lot of mainstream media clutching their pearls when people are calling them out as fake news. Uh, they were, you know, they were able to pick a villain in Donald Trump. And don't get me wrong, I'm not defending the douchebag. The fucker is a grifter and anyone taken by him gets what they deserve. Now they're calling out other media outlets for doing the same thing they did for a very long time. There is a term in religious circles. You reap what you sow. The mainstream media has been playing fast and loose with facts for a very long time, siding with presidential administrations and knowingly not holding people to account, even their own. So don't play high and mighty now. Just look at your past, which is accurately displaying your legacy. All right, thanks for tuning in. This show is ad-free, as always, but we can only do that with your help. Please, if you want to make this show self-sustaining and all the shows on the Lazy Geeks Network self-sustaining, this will allow us to pay hosting costs, uh, upgrade some of our equipment, um, maybe add some new equipment so we can start, you know, maybe expanding, doing like a Patreon, doing something like that. All of this will help us, and we can only do that with your help. So just go to thelazygeeks.com and click on our PayPal donate button. And if you can't help us out monetarily, totally understand it, totally get it. You can share it and rate the show on Apple Podcasts. This will give us higher, bigger exposure and will help us out. Also, I think you can review shows on Stitcher and, you know, and, and certain other things. So definitely do so. That will just allow more people to find us. And that, that would be great. You can also check out all the other shows available on the Lazy Geeks Network. There's the Lazy Geeks, where Adam and I discuss being adults in a geek world. And there's also our Star Trek Center podcast, The Away Team, 
where we recap every episode of Star Trek in canonical order. Uh, we're currently about to end the second season of Enterprise and go into the third season. So you can check us out. All are available wherever you get this show. And if you want to help out the show, hit us up with comments, questions, or ideas for future episodes. Catch me on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at the Lazy Geeks. That's all one word. Or email us, the Gen Xer podcast at thelazygeeks.com. And if you'd like to follow me personally, you can. I'll allow it. You can. Twitter and Instagram, at the Gen underscore Xer. Uh, so yeah, so that's it for us this week. So until next time, I'm Stephen Vargas, and between the battle of the boomers and millennials, there are the Gen Xers. We'll be right back.